in the morning when you want the news you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the uh, first amendment of the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters and now the news the Las Vegas Aces beat the Chicago Sky 89-78 last night. The Aces are now the one seed with one game left in the season. If they beat Seattle on Sunday or Chicago loses to Phoenix on Sunday, the Aces will clinch the one seed for the WNBA playoffs. Uh, last night, Kelsey Plum had 25 points. Jackie Young had 22. They actually got some secondary scoring. Raquana Williams had 12 and Kia Stokes had 9. And so what we saw from the Aces throughout this season, they've been uh, started out the year best offensive team in the league, average defensively. Then they had a stretch, about a 10-game stretch, where they were the worst defensive team in the league by far, too. And that's when they, they lost a couple of games. They fell out of the one seed. But the last 10 games so far, they're back up to fourth in those 10 games in defensive rating. Meanwhile, the whole time they've been first in offensive rating. So the defense is sort of back to where it was at the beginning of the year, which is slightly above average, about an average defensive team. And I think if they get that, if they are around that same level, about 100 defensive rating, which is about fourth in the WNBA, and continue to be the best offensive team, I think they win the WNBA title this year. By the way, Kelsey Plum, 25 points in that game. Um, I guess we're seeing now why she used some colorful language to talk about coming off the bench last year. <laughs> there is uh, no player that has benefited more from the coaching change from Bill Lambeer to Becky Hammond than Kelsey Plum. And honestly, like in all all of sports, like going from one coach to another, that's one of like the best improvements a player has had. Not necessarily in how she's played, but just the ability to showcase how good she is. Because she's probably not going to actually win it, because her teammate Asia Wilson probably has a better claim to it. But Kelsey Plum is a legitimate MVP candidate. Like, Kelsey Plum went from, oh yeah, she's coming off the bench, to like, oh, she's like, can be the best scorer on a team that's the one seed in the WNBA. Great question, Next thank question. you. The Raiders will play the Vikings on Sunday. Second preseason game for the Raiders. Adam, do you think Derek Carr plays? It's important to keep in mind that the Raiders get a fourth preseason game, unlike most teams, because of the Hall of Fame games. So I think the answer is probably no to that. And I don't really know why you would need him out there. Derek Carr has definitely reached the point of his career where he can tell you what he needs. And when you heard Derek Carr talking yesterday uh, in his presser about training camp, you got the sense that, yes, it matters, but if he doesn't really have what he wants, you know, if he doesn't, I shouldn't say doesn't have what he wants, if he doesn't get a ton of time, it's not going to be a problem. Um, do you think he plays at all in the preseason? Yes, I do think we see Derek okay. Carr in the preseason at some point. But right now, what's the what would be the gain for the Raiders with Darren Waller still out? Right. If Derek Carr is going to play, you want him to play with all of his weapons on the field at one time. Yeah, and honestly, I would lean towards and be perfectly fine with him not playing at all the entire preseason. I know you can make the argument about new system, new coach, and all that, but like, I think I'd be perfectly fine if they rolled him out there and week one of the season was the first time he was 
on the field against another team. And I think one of the big points, and I, I think I sound like a coach when saying this, but I think they're going to get more out of the scrimmages with the Patriots before they play the Patriots in the preseason game. I think that's going to be a bigger deal for the first team offense for Derek Carr than anything that happens in a single preseason game. Oh, yeah. I mean, these joint practices do tend to yield a whole lot more interesting information because you're just seeing more of your starters than you do during a preseason game. That's a great, great question. The Jets signed offensive tackle Dwayne Brown, a two-year deal worth $22 million. So uh, basically $11 million per year. The Raiders have over $20 million in cap space. Should they have done that? Should they have gone out and signed a Dwayne Brown for $11 million this season? No one as close to my age as Dwayne Brown should be guaranteed two years. <laughs> and so if you're the Raiders, no, I don't think that was the answer by any stretch. I'm okay with them letting this one go. I like this scale of how close are you to my age, and that determines how much money you or how many years you should be getting. Well, the, it, Tom Brady continues to be the one who makes me feel okay because I continue to look at the league and I say, as long as there is a player older than me, everything's fine. So what you've got until Tom Brady retires, until that's no longer real. I gotta look and see if there are any Major League Baseball relievers, like if Oliver Perez is kicking around for a 24th season, and see if maybe he can save me from my mortality. Next question. The NBA is retiring Bill Russell's number six league-wide. Bill Russell passed away at the end of July. But if you look at like league-wide number uh, jersey number retirements, it's the first one in the NBA, and... The NHL has done it with Wayne Gretzky, number 99, and Major League Baseball has done it with Jackie Robinson, number 42. And that's it. Like, there are not uh, many players that get their number retired league-wide. The NFL has not done it for anybody yet. So Bill Russell, not just in NBA, but across all of our sports, uh, joins a pretty small group of people to have their number retired for every single team in the league. It's absolutely fantastic. And you couldn't pick someone better than Bill Russell to do this based on on the court and off the court. The NBA is making a perfect move. Next question. Marquette King will be punting in the XFL. Is there a better match for a punter than Marquette King in the XFL? I want Marquette King to get all the jobs. Really, I just want him to be offered every opportunity because the way he got blown out of here by John Gruden continues to stick in my craw and I don't like it and I want Marquette King to be able to play and if you're going to put him in something as fun as the XFL then I think it is perfect I think if your punter gets flagged for excessive celebration in the XFL you should actually get a point on the scoreboard too easy too easy, too easy? I, I, think, well, I think I think you should you should have to down the punt inside the five and get flagged for excessive celebration i want okay. this to be a combination of you actually did well and then you celebrated too much so does it does it need to be like steph curry when he shoots a three and knows it's going in and starts to celebrate before it goes in does it need to be like that do you need to start your dance before the punt is actually down but see i think where it comes in is you need to be able to do that but then there's a penalty the opposite direction if it ends up going into the end zone yeah, so yeah, yeah. If you sell if you do the J.R. Smith and it doesn't, it rims out, you celebrate and it goes into the end zone. The how one da how <laughs> dare you give that credit to J.R. Smith when that credit goes to the one and only Swaggy P. That's right. Oh, I am sorry. I am sorry. Um, but I the one problem with that 
is like that could not be all on the punter. You could have just an incompetent uh, coverage team that somehow fumbles it into the end zone, and now the punter who had a perfect punt gets punished because his hands team sucks. What's amazing is that we're talking about this in the first place because he just goes to show. <laughs> we always talk about, oh, we love football, right? Everybody loves football. The NFL is king. So you would think if the NFL were king that people just love the product of football so much that no matter what other product of football you put out there, they would continue to watch. And yet the greatest mystery we watch year in and year out is that none of these second-tier football leagues ever survives it's amazing to me that the game itself is not really what the nfl appears to have it just appears to have the game on such a level and at a time when people love it man you know that's a great question all right i'm reading through a tweet you just sent me from pat 40 where sec commissioner greg sankey wants to take a fresh look at the ncaa tournament uh and possibly expanding the field beyond 68 uh if i'm reading this right he doesn't want to take out automatic bids for the smaller conferences, but he potentially wants to add more teams. And he cited, as an example, Ole Miss winning the College World Series, a completely different sport. You know what, Greg Sankey? If you want to ruin the entire landscape of the NCAA over football, that's fine. Go ahead. Do what you got to do to football. You leave basketball alone. Because basketball hasn't been a factor in any of these conference realignments from the jump. And so we get to leave basketball alone. We get basketball. We get to keep it. Those of us who did not grow up with college football, those of us who love college basketball, we want to keep our 68. Because the more mediocre teams you put in there, the more you dilute the field. I get it. You want more of your crap nine seeds to end up in the tournaments, you end up with more potential for money. And you say, oh, well, we're not going to take the automatic qualifiers out to do it. No, you're just going to make it less valuable for everybody else. You're just going to give your crappy teams more chances to go out there and make a run through two games and stay in longer and get more shares. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I found the quote. He said, I thought Texas A&M should have been in the field last season. People didn't agree, but the way they played at the end of the year, I firmly believe they were one of the better teams. So yeah, there it is. It's it's all about some SEC team was on the bubble. He didn't like they didn't get in. Or somebody from Texas A&M complained to him, and now he's saying, well, why don't we just uh, double the tournament size? Let's go to like 124 or something like that. So yeah, it, it has nothing to do with, um, oh, the worst team in can actually win it because that's not what VCU was the last team in with the Final Four. Yeah, whatever. But it's, it's all about Texas A&M getting snubbed on the bubble. I'm out. The Arizona Cardinals will be featured on an in-season series of Hard Knocks. This is going to premiere on November 9th. So you're going to get basically three months of filming in-season before the first episode. My main question, this offseason... The Arizona Cardinals found uh, multiple ways to embarrass their quarterback, Kyler Murray. This clause about having to study, independent study that they ultimately had to take away. And then also Cliff Kingsbury coming out and yelling about his quarterback, complaining to him when he calls plays that Kyler Murray doesn't like. I'm fascinated to see how much they embarrass him when there are cameras around 24-7. Debuts on, August, on November 9th, huh? Yep. Is that the date? This is interesting. You know what debuts on October 28th? Call of Duty? 
It's the new Call of Duty. <laughs> October 28th for the new Call of Duty. They'll have plenty of time to catch oh. Kyler doing what he does best on a computer, not studying. Okay, teams have some control over what actually gets broadcast on these. Are they going to show us Kyler Murray playing video games? Well, I think it's going to depend on how the Cardinals are doing. Right? If the Cardinals are like 1-5... in five, then maybe we get Kyler Murray playing Call of Duty, but you know what it's going to be. <laughs> like they're going to show Kyler Murray the the cut and tell him it's the final cut, and then Steve Kime is going to go back to HBO a little bit later and be like, "Hey, uh, remember that stuff we told you to leave out about Call of Duty? Go ahead and slide that back in." <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll get into some baseball because there was a game played in a cornfield last night. And Bragman rockets one deep down the left field line. Ball is hooking. If it stays fair, it's gone. And it's a fair ball and a two-run home run for Alex Bregman. Five to nothing Astros. Bregman goes deep for the 14th time this year. 2-2 to Seeger. Strike three call with a changeup at the knees, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros take two out of three from the Texas Rangers and clinch the silver boot for the sixth consecutive season. Astros defeat the Rangers today by a final of 7-3. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Adam, how many baseball teams play for a trophy? That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard about Major League Baseball. <laughs> no, I want more of it. I, I don't know if this is my college football love coming out, but the Astros and Rangers play for a legitimate silver boot trophy. And I, I think there needs to be more of this because I don't know of any other baseball series that they give a trophy to the winner of the season-long series. Where, where do you think Jim Crane, the Astros owner, keeps the boot? <laughs> well, they've had it for like six straight years, so it doesn't have to go anywhere. They should parade it around like the UNLV and Nevada do with the cannon. The cannon is fun. The is. boot is stupid. <laughs> These are professional sports teams who now, have no rivalry whatsoever. Have you great. ever gotten geeked for an Astros Rangers game Tyler no because they've almost never been good at the same time as each other but if they were I, I probably would be you would feel like this is the battle of Texas yeah I think so especially if you live in so. Texas yeah maybe can, can we yeah. talk about like talk about the egg bowl and talk about rivalries that have gone on for decades you're like I think I might get excited about this yeah can we get the good. can we get the Mets and Yankees to play for a little train yeah, that'd be fun. You would love that, Adam. You would love to win the train every year. The Subway Series is cute. It's just adorable. <laughs> they don't care if we beat the Mets or not. It makes no difference to me at all. But you would care if there was a little train trophy to play for. Yes, in the Big Apple, let's play for a Subway train. Sounds great. Thanks, Danny! Yeah, absolutely. And also, <laughs> uh, the Giants and the A's could play for like a little bridge. That'd yeah. be great. Danny's ah. got great ideas this morning. I am all on board, Danny. Yeah. Go call up Rob Manfred and give him some ideas. All right, we'll um, do. I'll, uh, I'll text him after the show. So here's a here's a fun guy in Iowa named J.D. Uh, Schulten. Schulten, I guess is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he looks like a House of Representative in the state of Iowa. And yesterday, he tweeted out a nice little graphic of a statement from himself, I'm guessing, about ending the blackouts in Major League Baseball. He says, Iowa is a state where there is not a Major League Baseball team, yet we are blacked out from watching six different teams. Royals, Cardinals, Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, and Twins. Iowa has three affiliated minor league teams, 
all of their major league teams are blacked out, meaning you won't be able to watch the games of the player you saw in the minors. In the interest of fans and to grow the game, I want to end MLB blackouts. So Iowa is similar to Vegas in that they have six teams that sort of claim them as a region. And therefore, if you buy the MLB.TV package, you cannot watch those six teams. Um, as much as I would enjoy MLB blackouts being over, I think this guy has the worst argument for it I've ever heard in that, hey, I watched a kid pitch in double-A once, and now I can't watch him pitch for the Twins. That's the worst argument I've ever heard. Beyond the argument, Iowa has much more of a case to have six teams blacked out than Las Vegas does. Because all of those teams you just mentioned, from the middle of Iowa, from Des Moines, you could be at any of those stadiums in three hours. You could drive to any of those stadiums in three hours or less. You cannot go to an A's or a Giants game from Las Vegas. It is a 10-hour drive, and we are blacked out on the Bay Area teams. It's insanity. And so if you don't like J.D.'s reasoning for why he can't watch uh, Major League Baseball with six different teams because of the minor league players, fine. I am still focused on the insanity of Las Vegas, and I'm now calling on all of the Nevada state legislators <laughs> to join J.D. in filing a similarly hopeless bill. <laughs> so, okay, you, you're being disingenuous, though. You know we're not blacked out because if people can drive to the games or not. You know that has nothing to do with the blackouts. I'm not being disingenuous. I'm talking about what is the insanity of the reality of it. The reality is not, of course, that you can't go to the game. But, of course, what is it? It's that you're talking about Bay Area sports networks being considered local networks that could be carried by Las Vegas cable outlets. That is insanity, too, Tyler. Why would, why would a Las Vegas cable company want to buy the Bay Area sports networks? It doesn't make any sense. It makes sense for Southern California. It does not make sense for Northern California. The... I mean, the, the, it all comes back to the TV money, and it all comes back to which teams are allowed to broadcast their games on TV in certain markets. And in Las Vegas, I know if you have Cox Cable, you don't get this. But in Las Vegas, if you have Direct TV, you get all six of those teams: Oakland, San Francisco, LA, Anaheim, San Diego, and Arizona. You get all of them on Direct no, TV. No, no, you don't. No, no, you don't get Arizona. Yeah, you do. I just watched the Diamondbacks play the other day. You don't get it as part of the basic package. I know that because I know what oh, to pay well, for. Yeah, you got to pay for the sports. Thank package. you. You have to pay for. You have to pay another fourteen dollars a month. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm on the same side as you in terms of we're paying too much. But that's the entire point: is that Major League Baseball teams make so much money from their television deals. More team, the Dodgers make more than the Marlins, obviously, but they make so much money from these that that's who they're going to protect. They're not going to care about you and I in Las Vegas or this Schlotten guy in Iowa, they care about the TV companies that are giving them so much money. And if I, if they ended blackouts, that would mean I don't have to have DirecTV or Cox Cable or Spectrum in LA or whatever the hell it is to watch any of the local teams or what they deem local. I can just buy the MLB package, which is significantly cheaper than my cable package. And the domino effect leads to, oh, the cable companies are not going to pay as much money as they pay 
to the teams to put them on TV. That's that's the entire point of this, is the amount of money they teams get from local television deals. And until that changes, we're going to have blackouts. Well, it's the other side of it that you're not getting to that really is where MLB fails. MLB is protecting the fact that when it streams the games on MLB TV, you don't get the same ad package that you get from having the local broadcast, right? If the local broadcast were still getting the same ads out there, nobody would care. And that's actually how it used to be. But now instead what Major League Baseball has done is theoretically hold on to its own ad inventory with these streaming options. But yet, Tyler, you and I watch the games. It is maddening. You get the <laughs> same two or three ads for the entire game. Do you know that that woman with the electric car who is pregnant and has the installer coming to put in her outlet, do you know that she would had to have given birth already? Because we've been watching that commercial for far more than nine months. Uh, did she get pregnant again? I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't know. Tyler, is it as easy as plugging in the outlet to have a baby? <laughs> it's not. I know the commercial's inside now because Major League Baseball's not doing anything with that ad inventory. Well, and the worst part is not only is it the same few commercials, half the time it's not even an actual commercial. It's just an MLB promo, like the weird Zen ones where they try to pretend to be a relaxing ad commercial. Those that's they don't even make money off that. That's just their own commercial on their own platform. So they're yeah, it's I oh. listen, the blackouts it's ridiculous. We've talked before about the idea that you, to watch every like Astros game this year, you got to have Peacock and Apple TV and cable and BMLB.TV. Like, it's ridiculous how many different places this is. And I know with the Yankees, if you're in New York, it's what? Are they on Amazon Prime? Like, there are 21 games that are only on Amazon Prime. <laughs> By the way, when I was in New York earlier this summer, the Amazon Prime games were the only games that I could see, even though I had the MLB package and I was signed in on the Yes app. <laughs> oh, I have a, I have a tip for you because I learned this uh, this summer when I went to Mexico. Go to Mexico. You don't get blacked out for anybody, and MLB TV still works. I'm well aware that people use nefarious means to get a Mexico, uh, <laughs> let's just say, to make their computer believe that they are in Mexico or otherwise internationally. Um, one more thing, and this is just a minor complaint, but it's been driving me crazy all year if we're going to be talking about these MLB promos. Okay, so they're promoting in one of the ads some like new morning show of highlights they have, right? Have you noticed, and you will never not notice it after this, that the voiceover wants to say about jaw-dropping plays and says draw-jopping. Okay, draw-jopping plays. I have not known. Am I, am I going to notice this today? Is what you're going to me? notice it. it. You're going to notice it. It is a female voiceover who says you catch every draw-jopping play, and you're like, it's <laughs> August. Could you not have recut the promo at some point? It just It's one of those things that just highlights how little MLB actually cares about what goes on in terms of those promo and ad spots for streaming that makes the blackout seem even more ridiculous. All right, coming up next, Sam Draw-jopping! At Plum for three, launch it, count it, KP again for three. Gray, five and five, inside, no look pass from guess who? The Magician working it again. Houdini goes inside to Stokes, and it's 77 to 63. Great offensive board by Young, back to Gray. Chicago's not going to foul. Gray's going to fire up another jumper, nail it, count it, ring it up, put it in the box. Put this one in the refrigerator. It's ice cold drinks tonight. 
All of the sun, none of the fun, on the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Good morning, Sam. How are you today? Hey, doing good, fellas. Happy Friday. How you guys doing? We are good. Uh, before we get into any of the aces and potentially grabbing that number one seat, I did want to ask you, uh, you broke the news about UNLV hiring Jamal Williams to be their assistant coach uh, late in the offseason after Brandon Chappelle left to go to Texas. So Jamal Williams has one year of collegiate experience at Portland State as an assistant. Before that, he was in the AAU and high school coaching ranks. I'm curious your thoughts on it. Like, Did this come off as a, oh, UNLV really had to scramble because it was so late in the offseason and there weren't a lot of great candidates that were willing to take the job right now? Or was this a, hey, Brandon Chappelle was the number one recruiter on this team, so they went and got a guy who's going to have really good ties to the high school and AAU scene? Yeah, I think more so the latter, Tyler. That's that's certainly um, the impression I got. You know, you mentioned Jamal Williams. Uh, you know, long time with the, with Seattle Rotary, right? One of the best, um, most accomplished AAU programs in the country. Produced Paolo Bancaro, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., um, Jaden McDaniel's, among others. He he does have, um, like you mentioned, extensive recruiting recruiting ties, specifically uh, in the Pacific Northwest. But but also, um, you know, he, he comes to 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 UNLV as an accomplished player who played at the University of Washington and was a really good player and somebody who's known Kevin Kruger um, for a long time. So like you said, um, you know, Brandon Chappelle, very energetic, um, like, you, like you did anchor a lot of the recruiting, and with Jamal Williams, uh, you know, filling in and taking his spot on the staff, I definitely expect him to, to, to step into that role. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of optimism, you know, about what he's going to be able to do just given um, his, his connections and recruiting ties. I mean, as you know, um, UNLV is, is under Kevin Kruger has focused a little bit more um, on the transfer portal, and when I say a little bit more, I actually mean a lot more. That that is where um, the majority of this, the, the rosters these last two years have been built from, right? The transfer portal, but there still, I believe, is an important uh, element to, to high school recruiting uh, and bringing in high school players that you can work with and, and develop over a course period of time. I think you're seeing that play out now with Keyshawn Gilbert, uh, the improvements he's made. Uh, from year one to year two, expecting him to play a lot bigger role. So with that said, yes, I think I think Jamal Williams uh, is going to step into that role and, and, and do what he does well, um, among other things, is, is recruit, um, to continue to build relationships and help this coaching staff build relationships and, and then kind of go from there. So a little late in the offseason, but, but there were still, um, you know, I know there's still a handful of candidates uh, that were interested in this job and considered for this job, uh, Justin Hawkins being one of them. Uh, he was in the mix. Mark Rogers, uh, I think from Wyoming, was another name. Uh, that was under consideration. But Jamal Williams, like you said, with his recruiting ties, um, with his playing experience and, and his connections uh, to the Pacific Northwest, uh, make him you know, the fit on, on Kevin Kruger's staff. So on the Aces, they are in the one seed. There's a game left if they win or if Chicago loses on the final day, they will clinch that one seed overall. I, so the last few games, they've been much better defensively than that sort of midseason lull they had there. Is it oversimplistic mm-hmm. to just say that they have cared more that they've been more intense defensively because they're still it looks like they're running the majority of the same defensive schemes they've been all season they just seemed more into it defensively than when they had that sort of 10 game lull of being awful defensively yeah i think that's definitely a, a big piece of it right just kind of the effort and the focus and you know just kind of understanding personnel and who they're playing against and um it, you know it's, it's crunch time now right I, I, there, there definitely is i think a sense of urgency um, given the, the way the season has, has played out, um, and, and and you have seen just kind of more effort. I, I think yesterday, Tyler against the Sky, you know, one of the best offensive teams in the league, the defending WMA champions, who were the one seed before that game. Um, you, 
you know, the Aces uh, built the double-figure lead, and it was really their defense that I thought keyed that. You know, the shooting you know, statistics are what they are. Um, Chicago's definitely missed some open looks, but, you know, they were pressuring ball handlers, and there were hands all over, active hands, and, the, the, you know, the help and the rotations, a uh, very cohesive effort. It just, it just seemed like they were playing more so um, with the kind of playoff intensity that they lacked earlier in the year. And I think when you start 13-2 and two and you're rolling through everybody, and, 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 you know, all the attention that was coming with the Aces and Tom Brady's pulling up courtside. I mean, yeah, I think it's, it might be a little natural um, to have some lulls during the season. I don't think that's an ex- excuse for it, per se, especially given that this team still hasn't won a championship yet. Still, you know, I don't, I, you know, still, I think, needed to build those championship kind of habits under Becky Hammond. But she intimated yesterday that there was a, a meeting, I guess she called it a come-to-Jesus meeting, uh, right after the All-Star break in New York. Uh, about what they needed to do to, 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 to reach the, the, the goals that they have. And, and you can't win a championship without being a quality defensive team. So you, we sit here now uh, at, with one game left in the regular season. I believe they've won, I think it's 10 of their last 13, if you include the Commissioner's Cup. they got a couple wins now over Chicago. They beat Seattle on the road. They beat Connecticut on the road, other title contenders. Uh, and they are rounding into, rounding into form um, and, and, and looking like a team, you know, even – with their issues in terms of depth and, and even without Erica Hamby, although I don't think they can win the title if she doesn't you know, return at all. Maybe they can. I'm not, I'm not sure. But they definitely look like a team where if and when she rejoins the lineup, um, that they have, they have the requisite pieces um, to, to win the championship, you know, even after that lull. They, they, I thought yesterday was their most impressive victory of the season, and you always want to be peaking at the right time. It would appear that the Aces seem to be doing that. Sam, we were talking earlier about the fact that not only has Kelsey Plum stepped forward and had an MVP level kind of season, but it's remarkable that this was a player who used to be coming off the bench under the old mm-hmm. staff and saying she might have a case for making the biggest leap from one coaching staff to another. What do you think has led to her being as dominant as she has been this year? Yeah, I just think she's uh, empowered a little bit more uh, by Becky Hammond. And that's not to say that Bill Lambeer, you know, didn't, um, didn't help her develop and didn't help her improve throughout the course of her career, um, especially in the early years. But she clearly, right, is one of the most skilled players in the league, and now she's operating in a system where she has the space uh, to do what she does well, which is, you know, I mean, she's a three-level scorer, right? Her jumper, you have to respect her jump shot. She's getting in the basket. She's making plays for other people, and there's so much space on the floor that allows her to do that. And, you know, you could see just kind of the trust um, that has that has developed between Becky Hammond and Kelsey Plum. They 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 attended the press conference together yesterday. Normally Becky Hammond goes first, and then the players go after. Uh, but KP came up to the podium and, and joined Becky Hammond, and you could just kind of see in the way that they interacted, kind of how much trust and mutual respect um, there is there. And as you know, Kelsey departed from the podium. Um, Becky made you know a comment about how competitive she is and how she can you know she can ride with that all day. So I think there's a connection there between how competitive they are. And that's helped bring the best out um, in Plum. She's been absolutely unbelievable. I think she's a, a lock for all WNBA um, first team honors. And you know she's she's approaching the prime of, approaching the prime of her career. She's going to be 28 later this month. And you know this was a player that that came into the league with all the expectations in the world as the number one pick, as the all time leading scorer in college. And you know has admittedly have been open about you know struggling with some of those expectations. But she's I know she's done a lot of work to, to kind of improve. Um, you know doing what she needs to do to. To, to improve her game and improve her mental approach to basketball. And it's just kind of a perfect storm um, with, with, with Becky Hammond being here and with the, the players she's complimented by. So she's been awesome. She's been, you know, 25 points last night, 8 of 13 shooting. She can, you know, more than capable of taking over a game at, at any juncture. 
uh, and and it just really seems um, dead set on on you know imposing her will on, on opposing teams uh, whenever she can. So she was awesome yesterday, and again, an absolute lock for uh, for all WNBA first team in my opinion. And yeah, you know, worthy of. Um, I don't I don't think she's the MVP per se, but I do think to your point, she's having an MVP caliber season. If there wasn't you know other great candidates, she'd definitely be in that mix. And um, all yeah, all WNBA first team lock for sure. Sunday, Aces play at noon. The Raiders play at one twenty-five. Where should Mark Davis be? I think Mark Davis should definitely be at the Aces game, right? Like, no disrespect to, or not to, you know, diminish the importance of of Sunday's Raiders game, but it's the preseason. Come on, and you know, at, at Michelob Ultra Arena, uh, the, the Aces are going to be playing, like you mentioned, for the number one seed. If they win, they can clinch that. And it's Sue Bird's last regular season game, uh, the great point guard from Seattle. So. It's a big game, and, and, you know, maybe a potential championship, you know, preview. I don't exactly know how the seedings shake out. Maybe it's going to be a, you know, a thing where they'll meet in the second round or whatever. But this, to me, you know, Aces and Storm has become – I mean, the Aces have a lot of great rivalries, right, With you know, because of how good they've been the last few years and some of the other great teams. But the rematch of 2020 finals is always fun. I think you're getting the top two uh, MVP candidates in Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. And, you know, I think Asia Wilson has done enough regardless of, of how she plays on Sunday to win the MVP. I'm just given how the team is winning. When you, you know, contextualize uh, the, the season that she's had, given that all the, you know, what the team looks like this year. Uh, but, you know, in the minds of voters, that game may very well swing the MVP race. So I think Mark Davis should definitely be there. Uh, that's where I'll be on Sunday and looking forward to a, a great game and atmosphere uh, on the final day of the regular season. Well, he is Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Sam, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have an awesome weekend. Talk soon. So there is Sam Gordon, um, Aces playing on Sunday. Uh, Adam, if you were Mark Davis, where would you be? You're at the Aces game. Stop it. Okay, I, I'm just. He loves the Raiders. I don't. Do you do you leave early to go to the Raiders? It's not like he couldn't, you know, get a quick helicopter across the 15. Like it's, I, I mean, he should be able to. I would assume he'd be able to. I'm just. It's it's a big question. If he's not there, that's it's not good for the Aces. It's a bad sign. All right. We've got tickets to give away if you want to go to the three ice playoff championship at the Orleans on Saturday, August 20th. we got a four-pack of tickets for you. Plus, you'll be qualified for four ringside tickets and a VIP meet and greet before the season. You can go to lvsportsnetwork.com to register for that. Or you could just win these tickets right now and you're automatically registered. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You'll get four tickets to the three ice playoff championship We'll take caller number four at 702-364-1100. I think he does a great job. Dumb questions, but Jared's not actually here today. Danny is here, and the weird thing about Danny is somehow every time that he talks for longer than a minute, he starts to tell us about some random thing he bet on. And we really started picking up on it when he was breaking down his WNBA parlay Which like went a terribly. month ago. Yeah, you lost both uh, both parts of your WNBA parlay. Uh, I lost two of three. I did have a oh, win in excuse there. Excuse me. Excuse me. Okay. Sorry. So we're actually going to let Danny have a few minutes to be degenerate Danny and explain to us what exactly he is betting on. So, Degenerate Danny, go ahead. Well, I have placed numerous uh, future bets for this NFL season. Uh, one of them, which I'm pretty excited. I hope it, 
I hope it hits because it's going to be a lot of fun to watch if it does hit. Uh, Rams first team in the NFL to score seven touchdowns in one game. That's not no. What? How many teams scored seven touchdowns in a game last year? Oh, I don't know. I didn't look that up. But <laughs> no, that's not useful information for that kind of bet. Um, and Danny, you've you've left out a key piece here. What's the price on that bet? I got fifteen to one, and the reason why I chose the Rams is because a they have a high powered offense, and b they weren't even I believe they were like the third or fourth um, in terms of odds to for that bet to hit. I think the first team was the Bills, and then after them was the Chiefs. But I think the Rams can do it. They they have a quarterback who is in a pain management situation with his elbow <laughs> this year, which means that I'm going to assume if they get up, you know, three, four scores, they're probably going to pull Matthew Stafford. So I'm pulling for you. I'm always pulling for your bets to win. Just saying, you know, I, I, I have better hope for, for your next one, right? Well, well, your, the, next uh, one, your next one's better than hold that? Hold on, hold on. What's, I, I, I have one other detail I'm curious about. If no NFL team scores seven touchdowns this year, what happens? I'm assuming I get my money back. Assuming. Because, I'm assuming. Because, no, like if <laughs> if nobody does whatever you bet on, then the bet is basically voided because it's first team to score. It's not will a team score seven. Was was no team an option? Uh, not that I saw. Okay. You, the, the, there are okay, Danny. You got to move on to your next one here. I'm gonna. On I'll one. double check it right now. But also the <laughs> the another reason why I took that is because it's also not first team to score seven offensive touchdowns. So the, it can the, be a collection of turnovers for touchdowns. This offensive. is not you moving on to the next bet. <laughs> All right, the next bet. I'm curious on your thoughts on this, Adam, because it's one of your teams. Um, I took the Giants under two and a half division wins. That division is awful. So, I uh, what what price did you get on that? Uh, that one it was a little worse odds. I got a minus one forty on that one. Oh boy! Um, you think they I can go three and three in the division? I absolutely think they can go three and three in the division because I think the Commanders are going to be horrendous, well, and it wouldn't surprise me if they won two against the Commanders. My problem with the bet is not necessarily. You know, I don't think it's crazy that they go two and four or one and five in the division, but to lay one forty to get that, I it would not have been my first choice. <laughs> well, your uh, your statement about the Commanders actually helps another bet that I have. Oh okay. boy, um, I took uh, Commanders under seven and a half wins. That I can that I can co-sign. Uh, again, all these bets need a price on them, though. Uh, that one is plus one thirty. Okay, especially at plus 130, I can live with uh, commanders under 7.5. Look, I don't think they are as bad as they looked last year with Taylor Heineke, but I also don't think they're nearly as good as they looked uh, you know, prior to that. So I, I think the Carson Wentz thing probably sets a floor for them at five or six wins, but I really don't like what that team is bringing to the table this year they fired their defensive line coach who had been with ron rivera for years in the middle of training camp that does not scream stability and we're going to win the division to me danny is this a weird you think the eagles and cowboys are going to be good bet is that what's happening with these last two uh yeah well the commanders is season overall because it's total total wins of the season but the giants 
the main reason why I took that is because I'm assuming that the Cowboys and or Eagles will sweep them. And to get this bet, I just need one team to sweep the Giants and the Giants to not sweep a team. And it comes out to two and four. And uh, another reason why I took it is because the Giants have not hit their have not hit three wins in the division four of the last five years. During those years, I will remind everybody, they were coached by Joe Judge and Pat Shermer. <laughs> so potentially, I'm putting too much faith in Brian Dable and the new coaching staff. Uh, I, I admit, as a Giants fan, I have more optimism than I've had in years, uh, largely because I didn't have any optimism in past years. But, uh, you know, we'll see. You're, you're, you don't have to put faith in the new coaching staff. It's just a faith that the old coaching staff is no longer there. This is true because Joe Judge apparently is what calling every other play with Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinator in New England right now. It's hilarious. Oh, and then uh, real quick to jump back to that uh, Rams seven touchdowns. They're actually <laughs> okay. they actually have the seventh highest odds. So they're they're the top three are actually Bills, Cowboys, and Raiders. Raiders. Yep, the Raiders are ten to one. I mean, I guess John Gruden's not there playing as slow as possible, but. I'd be I'd be stunned if they scored forty nine points in a game this year. Was that all of the bets, or do you have more? Oh no, I I made quite a few of <laughs> let's them. Let's go, we're let's go, let's get, go. We're let's not going to get to all of them. Well, we're um, going to get some more. Let's go. There's going to be more uh, degenerate Danny segments. Don't oh worry. yes, absolutely. Not with me, there aren't. Let's go. <laughs> uh, another one is Raiders to win exactly eight games. I got that at plus three forty. All right, not there terrible. Yeah, Not I don't terrible. hate that either. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get plus 340, I mean, hitting an exact outcome is always is always a little challenging, but Raiders 8 and 9 is certainly within the range of possibilities. Yeah. I mean, their their win total is 8 and a half, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. So basically, they're under by half a game exactly for 340. Yeah, seems, that seems solid. That's probably the best one you've given us so far. Well, Commander's under, but yeah. Um, and then I also had another one, which kind of uh, I'm a little worried now because he left practice the other day with a uh, hurt foot. Uh, Jameis Winston, comeback player of the year. I got plus 550. I mean, look, going Jameis comeback player of the year is absolutely uh, within w within the acceptable range. I would love to have seen a price better than 550, but you know what? But, you know, CPOI for Jameis, uh, that is going to be a bet where Danny... If you cash it, you're buying crab legs for all of us. 